I don't know what subject came to mind. Here's what I'd like to do. Um, I would like to hear. Uh, I don't want to hear the, the big transition. I certainly don't need the whole story. Um, I mean, you know, if we were just sitting and chatting, I would love to hear the whole story. But I'd like to hear the, the subject matter or the area or the, the general headline of the topic that has shifted for you over the years. So it's probably a word or two or maybe even a phrase. Somebody give me one or two. Grace. Grace? Okay. I'm guessing more, not less. That's good. A personal relationship. So some of you grew up in a church where it was about doing the thing and checking the box or whatever it is. And so Larry's, Larry's view of a personal relationship with, with God, big deal. Big, big shift. Big, big shift. Give me another. Hope. Hope. I'm, going, I'm guessing from no hope to lots of hope. Forgiveness. Okay. That's good, Dave. That's the direction we want to go, right? Jesus is real. Jesus is real. That's a big shift. Right on. Patience. Impatience to patience. Give me another. Creation. Creation. One literal day or... Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. So if you, if you grew up with a, a young earth theory, we'll call it, you know, seven days of creation, maybe you've made a shift one way or maybe you grew up with an idea that things are billions of years old and you went the other way. Um, I hope that you know that you are in church with people that have very different beliefs than you have. I hope you know that. Anybody got another one? Yeah. Being defined by our Being defined by your work. Oh, so Greg is a kept man is what he's saying. Um, <laughs> that Becky, uh, Becky's paying the freight for Greg's existence. And, uh, and so his, he's good with that now, I guess. I guess he's, guess he's good with that. And so when, when we think about this idea, there, there's shifts that happen all the time in, in our beliefs and I, our ideas. And those shifts are so common. In fact, I would say this, that if, if something hasn't shifted for you, you may not be growing in some ways. It, these shifts can be small ones. They can be small, we'll call them theological shifts. But really, what, when we say theology, it's a big word. It sounds like it's pastor work, but it's not. It is understanding who God is and how he works and how we interact with the world. That's what theology is. And so these beliefs or shifts that we've had, from, for some of you, you didn't grow up in church, and so you didn't have a bunch of stuff to unpack or things to shift or change in your life. For some of you, you did grow up in a, in a very different kind of church where they did different sort of sacraments or institutions or processes or a whole different set of beliefs. Some of you grew up, for example, in, in the Catholic world, and so now you're in a very different world. I bet some shifts and your beliefs have happened. These shifts can create some issues for us because when these shifts happen, we can start to feel a little unsettled. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to think now because we used to believe this and now I'm thinking this. So what else is gonna now fall apart or what else is connected to this new thing that I believe? And if you ponder some of those shifts that you've made, I bet you could begin to make a long list of them. I bet it's not just the one or two things that you can think of on a Sunday morning when you're thinking he's going to make us greet each other. And so as these shifts happen and you begin to feel a little unsettled or untethered or unmoored or a little adrift, it creates a problem in our faith. And the reason it's a problem in our faith 
is really this statement. So hang with me because some of you are going to think this is true based on what you think about faith. For some reason, we have this perception that faith begins with a correct set of beliefs. That's what we think. That, well, if you are going to start, you at least have to think this and this and this and this and this. And in fact, we even saw Britt do a bit of a confession of faith as we experienced this sacrament of baptism. And we asked him a couple of questions. There's some that we didn't ask him, you know, that we could make the list a little bit longer. And you might interact with somebody and you find out that they're a person of faith and you say something like, oh, uh, do you, and your question is going to be along the lines of, do you believe what I believe? Or do you think like I think? Or are we the same in all of these ways, in these categories? And eventually you'll come down to a place where you believe differently than they do and you have to decide, does that mean we're walking together or we are different than each other? Most of us have the perception that faith begins with the correct set of beliefs. And for most of us, that set of beliefs isn't two things or three things. It's more like, I don't know, a dozen things. I don't know how many things would be on your list before you would consider somebody with you or a part of your spiritual family. The closer you are to home, probably the longer that list is. Find yourself traveling internationally and you just want to see somebody with a nose, right? But these are the ideas that begin to create issues for us. And so we start with a small number. You believe that Jesus is God's son? Do you believe you fill in the blank? What would be the next that you would put near the top of that? And so we begin to add to the list. And it's okay if you start with one or two. That's, we all start there, right? But eventually you better catch up because there's a bunch of things we want you to believe. In fact, we would have the misperception that faith begins with the correct set of beliefs. And you better catch up and, you know, we'll give you some time, but you need to get there sooner than later. And so we begin to identify people that think like us or believe like us, believe the same as we do. And it's our set of beliefs that shift over time that, well, they are the correct set of beliefs at first. But when they begin to shift, well, it usually occurs when something happens in our life. So we find ourselves up against a wall. Diagnosis. Broken relationship. A problem that we can't fix like we have been able to fix. An issue that is somehow not gelling with our understanding of who God is and who we are and how our relationship with him works and how he works in the world. And when that happens, well, our, our beliefs change. Not all at once. That doesn't happen usually. Usually it happens one small thing at a time. And I bet you could, as you did, identify some of those things. And this creates an issue when some of our things that we believe change. Because we believe what we believe because someone very thoughtful, sincere, and mature in their faith taught us something about what we believe. 
And so with Donna and I trying to sort out what the Bible says about marriage and who's in charge and who leads and how do we submit to one another, it says that too. And so now we find ourselves a little bit stuck because we have decisions to make and we're not sure who's supposed to make that decision. And so all of a sudden, how she was raised and her view of marriage fell short when it came to our understanding of how we ought to operate. And how I was raised also fell short. And now we are finding ourselves reading a book that can be seemingly contradictory and we're having to find our way. And my guess is the issues that you ponder about your beliefs changing, the reason why we feel a little untethered or a little unsettled is because it feels like the foundation is is cracking a little bit. And when it does, we freak out a bit. We start walking around the house going, well, I mean, if it's cracked here, where else is it cracked? And what do I have to think about this? And this is what that church said, but I don't think it gels with what I understand about Scripture. And how am I going to find my way forward? And so we see this as people search for churches. We get emails all the time from various people in the community, and they they want to know, do your set of beliefs match my set of beliefs I want to know before I show up? Because I don't want to get to know you people and find out you're crazy. That's what they're asking, right? Is it a fair question? Yes. Have you been to some other churches? Even us, every now and then there's something. You go, I don't, I don't know about that. I'm not sure if I agree with that. And when our beliefs shift and change, sometimes we can feel unsettled. And so we begin to question. Uh, the word today is, is deconstruction. That's the word. Deconstruction describes... Uh, I've got my faith and I've decided this piece doesn't fit anymore, so I'm going to pull that out. I don't know what to think about it, but I'm going to pull it out. And then some other pieces begin to fall a bit. If this isn't true, then this can't be true. And, and all of a sudden, people get nervous and we're not sure we can believe all the same things again. And it creates all kinds of anxiety because what if it isn't true? And it could be the thing that you're unsure about is not critical or important or foundational, but it was for you at one time. And so you find yourself believing that faith has begun with the correct set of beliefs, and now I don't know what to do. So what happens to your faith when that occurs? What happens to the faith of your family or the people that you're raising? What happens to my people? What if I find out that we can't walk together anymore because I think differently than what you think? What happens to my community? Because this is how we move forward. This is why we ask questions of each other. This is why you're not just here to watch and learn. You're here to engage and build relationships. But what if you find yourself in a Bible study and somebody thinks differently than you think about what you feel like is a fairly big subject? What does that even mean? And what kind of anxiety does that produce? And How do you handle it? Well, some of us, we, we put blinders on and say, you know what, I don't even know what to think about that. I'm going to leave all the theology up to the pastor. I'm just coming to church. And so we just put the blinders on and walk ahead. And our faith stays in that same sort of anemic, questioning place. And it niggles at us. It pokes at us occasionally. But most of us, that's one way we handle it. Some of us decide that we're just going to white knuckle it. And so we just grab on and say, you know what? I don't know what's happening now, but I'm just going to take one step at a time. Some of us just throw the whole thing out and decide, you know what? That, that's it. That's it. But all of this, all of this is a part of this series, Heretic. And so we'll go through this for the next several weeks. 
Just so we're all on the same page, this word heretic, I don't know if you know what it means, but I think you might have some idea, but we'll use some basic definitions. A heretic is someone, it's a person who professes a heresy. Of course, you can see the words are connected. A heresy is a church member who holds beliefs opposed to established church doctrine, a person who violates accepted rules and tenets of a religion, or is a person who has views that don't conform to the norm. Based on these definitions, who is ready to say, well, I think he just described me. Let me see your hands. Let me see him. Come on. Okay. And so this is where we find ourselves when we believe that faith begins with a prescribed set or a normative set or a basic set of beliefs. And of course, this creates a problem because when our faith shifts and we find ourselves maybe believing something that is a little different than what our church believes, but we're not even sure what our church believes for sure, but there is an idea that maybe this is a little bit off the beaten path, then we find ourselves with a faith that is maybe fearful or weakened or the foundation is shifting a bit and we don't know what to do with it. All we know is that I'm not sure if everyone agrees with what I think or believe anymore. And I don't know if you know much about history, but you might have some idea of how history or the established church has treated heretics in the past. Well, we don't have any guillotines or wood pyres out in the parking lot for after church today. No barbecue, okay? So you can just breathe easy. It's all right. This understanding of what it means to be a heretic is because from early on in church life, this idea of needing or having a prescribed set of beliefs often came from the top-down church leadership as a means of uniformity, conformity, and ultimately control. But of course, the church is very different than that. The church isn't a an organization, it's an organism. And the church is alive, and the church moves and changes and shifts and grows. And if you're wondering what that might mean for your beliefs, or if you're not sure what to do with some of the thoughts you've had and where to put them, then this series might be helpful to you. And here's the good news. The Bible talks about these shifts in faith over and over and over again, from beginning to end. It is the whole narrative of Scripture, these shifts in faith that are large and massive, and some of them small. Some of them create fiction, friction. Some of them create major divides, and then they're healed again, and some never get healed. The Scriptures talk about this over and over again. And so if this is you, what we want to do is give you and me, all of us online, whoever's a part of our community, virtually, literally, right here physically, a framework to deal with those moments when there's a faith, doubt, a question, and how do we engage? And what does that mean? And so what that might mean is that if you've been in the habit of, of having doubts and questions, you're not sure what to do with them. You put them in a box and up on a shelf because they're a little scary. You've lifted up the rock and there's all kinds of squiggly things and you don't want to deal with it. If that's you and you just put the rock back or the box up on the shelf, it's a great time for you to open up the box and say, this feels like a safe place to have the discussion because it is a very safe place. And it could be 
that you're raising kids and what you want to know is, will their faith survive me? And if that's the question you have, this is a great series for you because everything we're going to talk about feeds into this understanding of building a resilient faith that can weather the storm of doubts, critique, fears, changes, and shifts. Think about it this way. How similar is your faith in belief and practice to that of your grandparents? Ponder that just for a moment. How many would you say it is, when you think about the details of it, and the way it works, how many of you would say it's pretty different? Let me see your hands. There's a path that you went down to get to that place, and that path involved all kinds of doubt and fear and trouble and probably a break from family and maybe a, a connection again with family. Look, the cultural divide that we're experiencing right now, it is not just political if you've paid attention. The cultural divide that we're experiencing is political, it's religious, it's spiritual, it's sociological, it's economical, it's in every possible way you could imagine. And so this understanding of faith, if you want it to survive, what happens next? If you want to be able to relate to the way your grandkids participate in and express their faith in Jesus, then shifting has got to become normal for all of us. Now, not every shift is a good shift. Not every shift is beneficial. But God's love can see us through every transition that we go through. And so to set the stage for the series, let me, let me back up a bit and take you to a scripture passage before we're done. It's John chapter 6. Uh, John has opened his gospel. He has all kinds of incredible things setting the stage for the life of Jesus. And then he gets to this chapter, John chapter 6, where uh, several things happen. It's jam-packed, but we're going to zero in and focus in on one specific area of it. But let me give you the big picture of the chapter. Here's how the chapter begins. After this, and you can read what was before it if you want, John chapter 5, but after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. And then John gives us a bit of the motive of why, why this crowd was following and why Jesus had a lot of people that, uh, that made him their rabbi, so to speak, because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. And so there's some motives at work here. God's doing a thing, and they want to be a part of it. They, they dig it. They like it. Uh, something has to be unique about this guy. He touches people, and they get well. They see it with their eyes. They experience the whole thing. Some of the things he says, they're not too wild about, but there's something about him. He teaches with authority. He teaches very differently than most of the other rabbis of that day and time, and he heals the sick. And so this huge crowd begins to follow him. And so... As the chapter opens, this is the little intro, and then a few things happen that you might be familiar with. They, they're there on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd is there, and the day's wearing on, and Jesus has been teaching, and so in that moment, he feeds a whole bunch of them. Maybe you're familiar with that miracle, loaves and fishes, the whole deal. He feeds them, and then later on in the day, while people are eating and enjoying each other, Jesus sort of slips away to be away all by himself, 
And in that time, the disciples suddenly look up near the end of the day and say, we we don't know where he is. Where did he go? Did he go back at home? We're not sure. So they get in a boat and they go across the sea. And this is the whole Jesus walking on water bit. Maybe you're familiar with that. And so they're going across and Jesus sees them and the storm and all of that. You can read the whole chapter. It'd be great. But then the crowd wakes up the next day and says, where'd he go? We don't know where he went. And so they want to go find him. They saw the disciples get in the boat, but they didn't see Jesus with them. And so they cross over to the other side as well. And then they find Jesus. All that happens in chapter six. It's a big chapter, lots of details. And then when they find him, this is what they say. The whole crowd, they say this. Well, first of all, Jesus says this when he sees the crowd. Sorry about that. I tell you the truth. You want to be with me. Why? Because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. And so Jesus now finds them over on the other side. They approach Jesus, the whole crowd, and Jesus calls them out. And he wants them to know this. He wants them to understand this idea. He said, look, I want you to know, I know why you're here. It's a bit of a free lunch thing, you know. And this is why you have come after me to find me. I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood all of the signs that are happening. And then... Jesus says this, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you. In other words, look, I I get it. You're wanting to hang around. You saw some amazing things. You want to be here for the easy stuff and the good stuff and the food and the the show and the the healings and all of that. But Jesus said, be careful though. You're seeming to build your life around stuff that is temporary but I want you to focus on the things that will endure, endure to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. In fact, what Jesus is saying in essence is this. Look, if you'll listen closely, I'll tell you what matters most, who God is, and how life is to be lived. And this is the essence of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus, how he teaches, what he does, and how he instructs. He says, look, I want to be sure that you have food that endures to eternal life. In other words, when you have a doubt, when you have a a crack in your foundation, when you're not sure what God is up to or your beliefs shift and change a bit, odds are it's because God is drawing you toward something that fits into this bucket. Look, if you'll listen closely, I'll tell you what matters most. Who God is and how life is to be lived. Every faith shift that you've ever experienced is something that leads you toward this direction. In all of your searches, your desire to know God, your desire to live for him, you have his fingerprint on you. You've been made in his image. If some belief that you had has led you away from who God really is, the faith shift that you'll experience will take you, well, toward more grace or toward more hope or towards kindness, or love, or patience every time. And Jesus says, look, if you'll listen closely, I will tell you what matters most, who God is, and how life is to be lived. And then Jesus says this, right after that. He says this. In fact, let's just all say this together. This is the verse for the day, and it'll help us understand where this series is headed. Jesus answered this way. Say it with me. The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. 
And in this moment with everyone, because they said, they, they kind of were offended that Jesus called them out. You're here for a free lunch. I know why you're here. And they said, well, we, we want to do the work. We want to do the work that God requires. What does he require? And then Jesus says, look, here's the deal. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And in this moment, Jesus connects work with belief. And work, the word in the Greek means this. And, and this is odd because we don't think this is what belief means. To toil with effort, an occupation, an industrious undertaking. This is not what we think belief is. We think belief is a prescribed set of beliefs that is handed to us, usually by somebody older than us, maybe your parents or somebody that taught you through catechism or something, and they hand you this set of beliefs, and they go, here's, here's what it is. Here's what you are to believe. And you go, great, thank you. That's great. I like them all. I'll take them with me until they don't work, or somebody tells you something different, and you think, I'm not sure about this one. Can I throw that one out? I mean, they said they were all important. Jesus says belief requires toil and effort an occupation, that it is an industrious undertaking. And this is what it means to sort through the shifts in your faith. It's hard. In fact, if you found it hard, it's because it's this. If you've wanted to quit, it's because it's this. If you thought, I mean, it should be easier than this, it's because Jesus described it as work, and it's not. It's hard work. Sorting through what we believe is hard work, and it requires significant effort. It's ongoing effort. It's not something that you check the box and call it one and done. It's something that you engage in over and over and over again. You would love to have some of these questions sort of sewed up, boxed up, and finished, but as it turns out, God has something different in mind for you. And it is to grow in a way that you understand him better, that you love people more deeply, that you wrestle with what you believe, why you believe it, and how does it work in your life. That is the work that Jesus described. And as we do that, we do it in community with each other. It means uh, I say, I, I, this is what I think, and you say, well, I don't, I don't know about that. Here's what I think, and we work it out together, and we learn from one another in ways that we didn't know was possible. It means that we, in this church, in this place, the broad community of Christ that we are, we give each other the place and the room to ask questions that sound like they come from the mouth of a heretic. I'm not even sure what I think about that, and it's okay. In fact, that's the only way that we can operate because the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. And so I'll take you through over the next several weeks some passages and accounts in scripture where this has actually come to fruition over and over and over again. And if you've been in a place where you're unsure, where you're doubting, you're not sure how to proceed in your faith, or you've boxed up some questions and you're afraid to open up that box, then hopefully you'll have a chance to open it up and dig in and plow ahead and know that the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. In a couple Sundays, we'll play a real fun game called Heretic or Saint, and we'll look at history, and you'll be absolutely astounded at how the church treats people who offer up a belief that isn't the norm, 
and then what has happened to them over time. And you'll find yourself in a place where you can embrace the complexity and the richness of faith. I'm going to invite the worship team up, and we're going to sing a song that we've, we taught you weeks, weeks, weeks ago. It's, uh, it's called, I Believe. And it gives us a chance to affirm some of the things that we believe. Now, here's my guess. If you've gone through a transition of faith in your life, we may even be singing some things that you are unsure about. So we as a community profess this belief, and occasionally through those periods of doubt, you get to say, I mean, I'm here. I'm not even sure I believe what they just said out loud, but I'll put my weight on it and trust it for now until I sort it out. It's how doubt works, that there is room for doubt And I walk in community with people and occasionally borrow the faith of others so that I can trust God and allow him to work in my life. This is why we affirm these beliefs together, that we grow and we seek God. So let's pray together. Lord, we ask that in this moment, as we affirm some of the things that we believe, we understand why Jesus said what he said. We believe that we are in a place that is safe, where faith can grow and shift and change over time. And we ask that as we embrace that truth and that reality, that we would understand what Jesus meant when he said that the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So Lord, we trust you. We lay this at your feet. And we affirm these truths.